Spar has been one of the top search terms on IHI.org for years. If you think about it, nothing makes more common sense than to speak clearly and confidently if you need someone's attention to help address an immediate situation. We certainly know this is drilled into anyone whose job it is to protect public safety as well as anyone in military combat. And yet, in healthcare, the value of well-thought-out, concise communication in the service of patient safety only came to be taken seriously a little over a decade ago, and as it turned out, borrowed from the military to start the ball rolling. We know this as as SBAR, a tool and template for structuring communication among healthcare providers to describe the situation, the background, one's assessment, and recommendation. The rest is history, as they say. SBAR is now used by thousands of healthcare organizations and staff, tens of thousands, dare I say, in multiple ways, not only for safety concerns and as both an informational and situational tool. We're going to unpack what difference that makes and whether we're equally good at conveying the S, the B, the A, and the R on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We're in our fifth year of coming to you bi-weekly, and also for later listening and convenience, you can find us on IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. So as I was saying, SBAR has held steady for years is one of the top search terms on IHI.org, and this is a reflection we've learned of the vast appeal of this communication framework, what's been gained and what could be getting lost in all the ubiquity. These are just some of the things we're going to be looking into with your help and with comments from our guests. And a reminder, if you like to use Twitter, we welcome tweeting during or after today's program. You can use, if you wouldn't mind, the hashtag IHI in your tweets, and that way we bring others into the conversation. IHI Twitter handle is at the IHI. And I also want to mention we've got a poll open. We're trying to just gather a lot of information because this SBAR uh, topic turns out to be uh, very, very interesting uh, and rich uh, the more we get into it. About 2,500 of you enrolled for this program today, which tells us something about people's curiosity and wonderment. Perhaps you're a veteran user of SBAR, a new user of SBAR. We're very, very interested in what your experience has been, and we're we're going to be really interested uh, to find out even after the show today, speaking of the survey at the end, uh, how our guests uh, were able to help you with some of your thinking and what more could we do here at IHI uh, to support your work um, with SBAR, with structured communication in the overall world of reliability and better safety. I want to now briefly introduce our guests and a reminder that longer bios are on the WIHI webpages on IHI.org and on bio slides that we share during the show. First up is Dr. Michael Leonard. He's a cardiac anesthesiologist by training who spent 20 years with Kaiser Permanente, both in the Colorado region as a practicing clinician and leader, and 10 years as the national physician leader for patient safety across the Kaiser system. He's currently the founder of Safe and Reliable Healthcare. He's been a huge help to me developing this WIHI. Welcome, Michael. Uh, good day, good day. Glad okay, good, good day, good day. Okay. As has Audrey Linden, an associate professor in the UCSF School of Nursing. Her research on patient safety and perinatal care focuses on effective communication and teamwork in maintaining self-care. Uh, also, a big welcome to you. 
This is Thank a, you. Very our, nice to be here. Wonderful. Thanks, Audrey. Uh, also, I want to give uh, two other guests who have been equally helpful. Jill Morgan has been a nurse manager of a 16-bed medical surgical intensive care unit and acute inpatient dialysis at Unity Point Health St. Luke's Hospital in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, since 2001. She was recently appointed director of hospice, palliative care, spiritual care, Unity Point at home and home medical equipment. Boy, we should have your job, Joe, here. So glad you're with us. Uh, Thanks for being part of today's WHI. Okay. And Ansley Stone is the Quality Improvement Coordinator and Staff Nurse at Carolina's Medical Center, Pineville, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Over the past 20 years, Ansley has worked in the labor, delivery, recovery, postpartum setting in collaboration with the North Carolina Perinatal Quality Collaborative and also as a member of the IHI Perinatal Community. So welcome, Ansley. All right, uh, keep checking out the poll there. Uh, we'll share the uh, some of the, you know, what, what, what you all turned up for us before the show is over, but we'll just keep going. All right, so um, let's get started, and I'm going to start with Michael Leonard. So we might not be having this conversation today, Michael, were it not for the work of you and Doug Bonacom and some others. So it falls to you to briefly remind us of SBAR's origins and the intent of its creators. Thanks. Sure. Um, so Doug Bonacom, um, who I worked with for many years at Kaiser and was privileged to uh, kind of partner with, was in the new U.S. Nuclear Navy. And, in fact, SBAR was, is used in the Nuclear Navy um, so that if an 18-year-old has to wake up the captain at 3 in the morning, there's a very clear structure around that communication. Here's what I see. Here's how we got there. Here's what I think it means. And from day one, in a very complex, dangerous environment, here's what I would do to fix the problem. And the key piece of this is to be clear and structured, which provides predictability, and also to close the loop, because a lot of the communication failures we have in healthcare is we never quite get to the R, which is what's going to happen when. So, so the power of structure is it basically says, we know how we're going to have this conversation. I can anticipate on the other side of it. And then we really do close that loop of what are we going to do? When's it going to happen? How are we going to know? Frankly, it is working. So, so if you think pretty simply about what teams do, teams do four things. They plan forward. They brief. They huddle. They think ahead. They play offense if they're having a good day. They reflect back. They debrief very quickly. They resolve conflict. They create the environment for anybody to be able to speak up any time using critical language, like I need a little clarity, a nice neutral term that stops the show. And then the other piece is they have structured communication. And it really says, we know how we're going to have this conversation. We know the most effective way to teach it is doctors, nurses, techs, practicing together, talking to each other. So they walk out of the room talking about real, having talked about real events, walk out of the room saying, I know how to do this, procedural learning, because I've done it with you. And not only have I done it with you, but we've agreed how we're going to do it. So we have an element of social agreement. So the other component that's really critically important for the effective use of this is not only we agree we're going to do it, we know how to do it, but really kind of doing it in an environment of effective leadership. And if you think about it, every one of us walk in in the morning, walk into a unit, walk into an office, and in 10 seconds our brain goes, good movie, 
bad movie. So what do effective leaders do? They very simply set a positive, active tone every time. They think out loud. They share the plan. They continuously invite teams, the other team members, into the conversation, and they make themselves approachable. And it's really, really key to create that safe space. And what I would say is a lot of the work that, that I've learned from is Audrey's work at UCSF, which really centers on that creation of psychological safety. So, so let me um, stop there, Madge. Okay, thanks. Michael's going to circle back uh, after we hear from some others, but he uh, was charged with setting the scene, and we really appreciate that. Uh, th- this is actually a, a decade's worth of, of history here that we're uh, c- cramming into our one-hour program. So uh, hang in there with us. I, I think we're still going to cover some really, really interesting stuff. And a reminder to everybody, all slides, you can get them right now if you want them, if you're only on the phone, from info at IHI.org, but you can download them. Uh, at the end of the show, you'll be prompted, and we just uh, keep periodically putting in a link if you want to get all that information as well, as well as our polling questions today. So, Jill Morgan, I want to turn to you next from Unity Point. Okay. Um, so, with Michael's overview as a backdrop, tell us about the uses of SBAR in your organization. Thanks. Uh, certainly, Madge. Uh, actually, we had a, a wide variety of SBAR, but really want to stress with O2 that how SBAR has really improved our culture of safety. And I think the way that it has has really just brought uh, attention to everybody that when you look at what might be the root cause of a lot of errors, it really goes back to communication. So, number one, I think wherever we were at as we're starting to mature with SBAR along the way, though, too, we were very much aware of our conversation and the importance of getting it right, you know, and practicing. But uh, SBAR for us really uh, begins with orientation, especially with that nurse residency. It's good to see our new nurses coming out are very uh, versed in SBAR now. That wasn't the case when we first started learning SBAR ourselves. But um, like I said, it's really stressed there. We have a lot of different tools out there. One in particular is to help uh, organize their thoughts when they're calling a physician. So it's really just that SBAR template that I think you've seen that uh, they can use to even kind of pencil in some things when they're starting to work with that. I think it's also helped some of the newer nurses uh, feel more comfortable when communicating with more senior nurses because they know how to organize their thoughts. So uh, we use it uh, with verbal communication all the time. That's where it starts with the education. But we've also um, moved along the way, though, too. Obviously, in the last year, we went to an EMR, but it also has like an S-bar button, which goes back where we can get a good snapshot of the patient. We can use that during handovers when we're moving, uh, you know, transitioning patients to different levels of care. One of the things that uh, we did in intensive care working with our ED, really trying to maximize that handover. So we had an SBAR form that we use when we're having telephone uh, communications between a critical care area and also with um, ED. Something else in that we have uh, moved along with, though, also is I will use SBAR format if I am uh, communicating something of real significance to the um, administration. I see what you just popped up on the screen here, too. I should also say that I'm um, on the ethics committee, and this is the form that we would use, too, if uh, we called an ethical consult to come to, say, critical care, wherever the patient might be. They will use SBAR also, especially when communicating back to the staff or with their uh, documentation. Uh, again, I think that this was a, something that's just kind of grown and matured from the clinical setting, but I think it all gets us working and 
thinking and communicating off the same page instead of uh, going on with narratives that seem to go on forever. What you're looking at right now is exactly what um, I mentioned just a second ago, and that's how I might communicate something of significance to administration. Um, I like what you mentioned earlier about recommendations, too. Maybe previously, I don't want to say I had glowing narrative um, essays on to people, but, you know, so what's the point here? So I think this is just really briefly. The feedback I've gotten from people have been very good. And then maybe on something like this, though, too, you know, my recommendation might be just a follow-up assessment to administration every 24 hours on a situation. So it seems to have worked well. I felt like I've gotten my message or concern across, and the messages I receive back is um, um, the same. It's just really helped our communication. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Jill. And Jill and uh, Ansley and several organizations that have taken part or are taking part in IHI's perinatal community very generously um, shared some of the SBAR tools. Some of them are using similar tools, some unique ones that we got in, and those are all at that link that Vicki Minden has put into chat. If you're wondering what we're talking about because you're on the phone only, you can ask for this information from info at IHI.org. All right, so more for from you, uh, Jill, when we get into questions. Okay, I'm going to turn to you next. Ansley of Carolina's Healthcare System had interesting conversations with everyone prepping for today. SBAR is clearly part of the fabric of your health system, too, so tell us what that looks like uh, and uh, some of the, particularly perhaps in labor and delivery, and then some of the newer things you're thinking about in terms of electronic health records. Thanks, Ansley. Thanks, Madge. Um, Carolina's healthcare system is a large, uh, one of the largest non-for-profit hospital systems in the country. We've got hospitals spread out over North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, and we have about 41 hospitals that make up um, our system. We, um, at our hospital specifically, we're a labor delivery postpartum recovery unit, so we have really four different subspecialties taking place on our unit at any given time with the same nursing staff. Um, you know, it's we've been using the SBAR in our uh, in our clinical practice for probably five to six years, and we did start out as as using it as a tool to better communicate with providers, with our physicians and nurse midwives, um, to really tell the story and give them a clear cl- clinical picture, uh, especially when they weren't here in the building with us. And our nurses really have taken the SBAR tool and really turned it into an essential document really on the floor for the nurses when they report off to each other. Um, kind of like what Jill was talking about a little bit, our nurses really kind of live or die by their SBAR and use it as their form of communication to each other for the handoff, uh, whether that's on a mom, whether that's on a baby, whether that's uh, we, rep- we have an SBAR where we report on the couple, um, and they use that just to make sure that we're keeping track um, of everything uh, during the labor and delivery process, which can be critical at certain points of the of the spectrum, and really have pushed our use of SBAR because they've taken a hold of it and really just they really saw the value in it for patient safety. Um, and one of the things that Madge and I had talked about uh, last week was in this climate where hospitals are having to do more with less. We're worried about our reimbursements. You know, we're focusing on quality. We're focusing on safety. We're doing all kinds of initiatives. Um, this is one thing that really helps, is really the tool at the bedside that really makes a difference for the patient. And the nurses, acuity, you know, they have so many things that are going on. Their patient ratios are, are 
always higher than they think they need to be. But patient ratios are higher, acuity is higher. Patients, especially in the obstetric world, are older, sicker, um, and these nurses are really afraid they're going to forget something, and they want to make sure that they're getting the whole clinical picture of the patient when they hand off to each other, let alone when they report off to a physician. Okay. I wanted uh, – thank you. Do you – I want to put up the slide of the electronic medical record, and maybe yes. – uh, let me just do that. John's going to uh, – flash that one. Do you want to just describe it, just to give us another uh, minute or two on, on what you're trying to do sure. here? Um, we are. We have been working very closely with Cerner. They uh, are managing our electronic medical re- record system, and we do. We are one of the larger facilities that Cerner that Cerner works with, and they have been very, um, I guess, customer friendly when we've gone to them with suggestions of things that we really needed incorporated into the chart. And one of those things was an SBAR, a handoff communication tool, and that's what that's what they've built for us. And you can you can see is what's, what's on your screen. It covers situation, background, assessment, and recommendation. And from a nursing standpoint, this has really been critical because our nurses are currently using paper. They're using a paper form SBAR when they report on their patients. And we really wanted to have a place in the computer where they could have kind of one place that pulled it all together. The problem with the electronic medical record that we found is you have to know where to go and know where to look. It doesn't automatically tell you you've got a new order or you've got a new lab result. Um, so nurses, when they use the computer to report, they, sometimes they miss things. So we really wanted one place where the entire clinical picture could come together um, on a single page, and our physicians have found this helpful too. So Cerner has worked with us on this specific handoff communication tool. It is generic. It is not specific to our OB world, um, but we do have a new uh, maternity obstetric program that Cerner is uh, going live with us uh, towards the end of the year, and we hope that we'll have an obstetrical SBAR that will be built into the system, and it just pulls in everything that you need to know about the patient. So you can have one screen you go and look at, and it kind of gives you a synopsis of everything going on without you having to dig around and then potentially miss something that could compromise patient safety. All right. Thank you very much. And I want to reassure folks, when you actually download uh, the screenshot here, you can uh, manipulate the view to, you know, it comes, it becomes a little bit clearer. So it's very, very interesting uh, to look at what's being captured here. Thank you very much, Ansley. Uh, we'll, uh, I'm sure have, folks will have some questions for you too. All right, Audrey Linden, up next. And um, you know perinatal care very well and SBAR's contribution in particular. So uh, you've been doing a lot of observation research. Uh, so tell us what's on your mind at this juncture with SBAR and what you see as both its contribution and perhaps some of the problems or gaps that are surfacing here. And welcome again. Thank you, Matt. Um, as you know, I've spent about the last 10 years uh, doing research on communication uh, in labor and delivery and the problems that nurses, physicians, and midwives sometimes face in speaking up and taking action on their safety concerns. Um, it's great to know that there's been a lot of really good progress in, in certain areas in terms of perinatal safety, but unfortunately we're still seeing reports of um, some fundamental issues with basic communication, respect, um, and difficulty getting team members to listen to each other and sometimes to patients as well. I, and I also suspect that this is true outside of perinatal care. I, I doubt that it's unique to perinatal care. Um, 
and I and I think that the SBAR and other structured communication formats are terrific and have had a huge role to play in the improvements that we've seen. But I do have a few concerns about about some of the the areas that I think we need to keep focusing on. The first one is that, uh, and this has come up a little bit in the in the chat um, for today, but SBAR itself is really designed, as I understand it, as a situational briefing, meaning that it's meant to give a quick and concise snapshot to get attention to a specific problem. And too often I see um, templates for SBAR that are really trying to cover everything in terms of um, every aspect of what's going on for a patient. And certainly there's very important times when that complete picture needs to be translated, um, for example, at change of shifts and other kinds of handoffs. But um, I think we have to be a little bit careful about blurring uh, the purpose of different strategies for communication. Um, and the reason that I think that's important to be thinking about is that um, when we're trying to cover every aspect of information about the patient, we, I think we risk falling into delivering data without a recommendation. And to me, the real um, innovation and importance with SBAR is that focus on the recommendation because we have to tell the other people what we're thinking about in order to be on the same page with them about what's going on with the patient. Um, and there can be a tendency to just assume that we all see the same thing in a set of vital signs, for example. The second thing is that the basic structure of SBAR doesn't make the potential need for assertion explicit, and I think that people really need to be prepared to explain their reasoning and press their case if they're not reaching an immediate agreement on their interpretation of the situation. So with apologies to Michael for mangling his, his structure on SBAR, I do think that we need a couple of extra prompts to get the explicit ratification of the plan and um, prepare people to be ready to explain their reasoning for what they think is going on. And then finally, I really think that we have not paid enough attention to the listening skills of the receiver. The best SBAR in the world is not going to help that much if the receiver is not willing or able to hear what the sender has to say. And I think we have a lot of evidence that things break down at that stage much of the time, or frequently when things don't work out well for patients, it's because there's some kind of communication transfer problem. So I think, you know, I, I like to quip that there's no SBAR for listening, and I was at a conference last year when I said that, and the moderator, who's a friend of mine, sort of turned around and said, well, Audrey, what is the SBAR for listening? So I had to, to <laughs> rise to that challenge um, and come up with a, a strategy around that. So on the slide on the screen, you'll see that we have tried to um, structure an SBAR for listening that highlights the principles that are pretty well accepted around what effective listening is. So we're asking people to set aside assumptions, be attentive, ask questions, reflect on what they're hearing, and make sure to respond. Uh, Michael had touched on this in the beginning that the, the leader or the decision maker really needs to communicate that they've heard and they're either changing their plan or not changing their plan for specific reasons. And then the whole team needs to ratify clearly here, okay, this is what we've agreed to do. And additionally, make sure that there are metrics for when we're going to reevaluate and what our criteria would be for um, resolution of the problem or moving on to a new level. Um, I wanted to highlight that uh, there's a great suggestion on the chat 
mm-hmm. about putting a P into SBAR for the patient and the patient's perspective, and I think that's just really um, tremendously important. Um, and that fundamentally circling back to something that Michael was talking about in terms of leadership, I think that regardless of the specific tool, really it comes down to a question of organizational accountability for standing behind people when they have um, a question or concern and making sure that whether or not the plan of care has changes based on that concern, the person who raises it is validated in bringing that concern forward. Mm-hmm. Wow. So very, very interesting food for thought and SBAR for listening. A reminder uh, to everyone that you can, um, we have links uh, to the slides that are already uh, in the chat or you can ask them for them at info at IHI.org or when you log off today's show, they'll all come piling down to you if, if you say, yes, I want them. So Audrey, very, very interesting issue. Issues you've raised, which I touched upon in my introduction, about sort of comprehensive use of SBAR for information as opposed to perhaps situational, uh, this R part, this recommendation. And I invite all our listeners, even uh, before we go to Q&A, which will just be in a few minutes, uh, I, I'd like to know how these points um, are resonating for you. Uh, we have uh, some really interesting uses at Unity Point in the Carolinas healthcare system. Uh, uh, Ansley telling us that, um, you know, having this comprehensive uh, SBAR structure for information on the electronic health record has been very well received. I think all these uses are really potent, and yet we are trying to understand, um, or do we still have the RI on the ball of a situational uh, tool and safety and reliability? And I guess I'm going to now, I'm going to come back to Michael. Uh, we've given some preliminary uh, comments, and you've also seen the chat. And um, Michael's going to just help frame a little bit where SBAR sits in the kind of reliability world right now. Fast forward over a decade, Michael. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. So, so uh, wonderful kind of perspectives and, and insights uh, provided by our friends here over the last uh, three comments. And, and I think, you know, let's think about SBAR as SBAR is a tool and and two things. One is it's a tool that evolves. And so in the Kaiser work, uh, pushed by Marilyn Chow, Lisa Schelling, um, basically nurse knowledge exchange, handoffs at the bedside between nurses with the patient and their family, they came at that with an IS bar. So the I is introduce yourself, sit down, talk about here are the three things, four things that are relevant, important to you, the patient, your family, over the next shift, the next 12 hours, whatever. And then basically the end of that is you could add a T or an R for basically a teach back or a read back to, to fundamentally say, you know, please take a minute, tell us what you heard, how you would explain it to your family to, to really try and kind of close that loop that, in fact, they did understand what we talked to them about. I think the value of structured communication is it creates predictability. And, and often high-performing teams will say we start the conversation in the middle. We don't have to spend a lot of time figuring out how we're going to talk to each other, um, kind of, you know, negotiating kind of that social agreement. We've already done that, and you know, we're pretty effective in communicating. And, and I think, the, you know, let me just take a minute to kind of speak to the, to the point Audrey brought up, which is you have to be able to justify and kind of think through the logic 
of what you're asking for. And, and one of the challenges we have today is we have a lot of novices. We have a lot of new nurses. We tend to put them in very complex, high-risk environments that we never used to do, but we do it now because we don't have enough people. And so as we taught ASPAR within the Kaiser system, we said, figure out what you want, figure out what the S is, figure out where you want to end up. And, and basically, if you don't know what the R is, that ultimately you want to kind of achieve by the time you talk to somebody or get off the phone, go find somebody who's more experienced and ask them so they can tell you what it is. Because if you know what you want, you know where you want to end up, you're actually going to be much more effective in that punchline on the front end. And in this busy, complex world, we have an attention span of about 8 to 10 seconds. So you want to get somebody's attention, you want to be respectful, but you want to be direct and say, here's what we're talking about. So let me broaden this a little bit and kind of come back to, to Madge's question of, you know, as we move toward high reliability, we talk, we move toward safety cultures, you know, where does this live? And, and let me kind of socialize two concepts with you, um, and I have some materials actually on our website I'd be happy to share, and you'll see on the second slide the, the link is there. What we know from other high-risk industries, and if you can kind of tuck back to the first slide here of safety culture maturation, we know cultures evolve, and we also know when you and I walk in in the morning, what we want to do is we want to be up on the right hand, upper right-hand side of this slide, and we want to play offense as a team. And if we're being proactive, it's because the right people show up, we know the plan, we can think ahead, what do we need, who do we need, when are we going to need them, what are the constraints, and now we're playing offense. And not only do you deliver great care, but it's actually a lot more fun. Where you don't want to be is down on the left-hand, lower left-hand side of this, is being reactive. And we all have those days where you don't know what the plan is, it's surprise after surprise after surprise, and, and you're basically working your tail off trying to keep your head above water and, and keep the patients out of trouble. Not only is it exhausting, it's actually extremely dangerous because you're not looking ahead, you're not anticipating but you're basically multitasking with a very high workload, and, it, and it's a great dynamic to make mistakes. So, so if we can kind of go to the next slide in this, what we do is we look at those five levels across from unmindful to generative, and we apply them to the things that I look at every time I walk into a unit or a hospital. Because this, these are the things you have to do and address and think of every time to get it right. So one is you, you really want to see it through the patient's eyes. You want to understand their care experience because they're processing that care experience socially in a very profound way. Leadership, to senior leadership support the work at the bedside? Sometimes yes, often no. Clinical leadership we talked about, which is creating that safe space, thinking out loud, sharing the plan, inviting people into the conversation, and always making it safe to speak up, psychological safety. We know from a lot of cultural data, one in five people at the bedside in this country, and I suspect other countries as well, say they would be hesitant to speak up if they were concerned about a patient. That's never okay. That number needs to be zero, and we continually need to strive to create the environment that anybody can raise their hand anytime 
There's no such thing as a, as a dumb question if you're concerned about a human being. And in fact, at worst, it's a teachable moment. Organizational fairness, how do we learn from mistakes because we're making them all the time in complex systems? How do we construct reliable, consistent processes of care? And how do we learn and improve? And that's the world, that's the framework that these, these teamwork tools need to live in. And so, so you have to think broadly, and any one of you, you know, and again, I, I'm happy to kind of share the slides, the link is down there before, is that fundamentally, if, if, you, and if you go to the website, look under resources and the blog tab, you can download the PDF of the slides we used at the recent IHI forum. And you can take those slides and you can basically walk into a room of your, your, the people you work with and say, with regard to teamwork, where do we think we are on this scale? With regard to psychological safety, where do, what does it feel like here? And you will find that, that there's a lot of expertise in that room. People can lock on that very quickly. And what becomes very interesting is how do you know when we're really playing offense what are the things that take us the wrong direction? How do you as an individual know? And what are the simple things we can do, like raise our hand, regroup, say we're going the wrong direction, and, uh, and kind of, you know, charge forward? So I welcome you to use these tools. I'm happy um, at any, any time. You can send me an email, comment, et cetera. But we found this framework and this construct to, to actually be very helpful. All right. Thank you so much. A really good uh, food for thought. Um, just because uh, we're about to go to chat, and I want to remind everybody, we put together a resource document that goes live on our website by the next day. We capture uh, links that uh, we knew about already, some of the ones you're sharing with us now, the stuff that Michael is alluding to from safeandreliablehealthcare.com. So I want to assure folks you'll find all that uh, t tomorrow uh, as well as you check out the archive page on IHI.org. Just before we go to chat, I want to go back to Jill and Ansley and just see if uh, kind of we, we've sort of migrated to kind of uh, 30,000 feet to, you know, organization back to 30,000 feet, etc. cetera. Uh, anything either one of you would, would like to kind of add? Um, Ansley, I think, you know, you, you're the range of ways that you use SBAR in kind of a whole host of, of ways at uh, the Carolinas uh, healthcare system. Uh, curious if you feel that, uh, you know, works equally well or if you heard some things that might give you some food for thought too. Anything you'd like to share? Well, I think, you know, from a clinical standpoint, we have nurses that don't, you know, don't, I guess, buy into the, to the safety aspect of the tool and, you know, our culture has shifted in the last few years to where nurses hold each other accountable for making sure that they know all of that information and can give a clear, concise mm -hmm. picture of their patient status. Um, so it's almost like it's taken on its own own kind of life and nurse, I mean, nurses really in our system really propagate using that. You know, where we run into trouble is with the R part. It's mm -hmm. with, um, you know, just like anything else, probably younger nurses, newer nurses, um, the doves that we have practicing on our unit. And obstetrics is very, um, 
complicated because there's a lot of autonomy in nurse practice, and there's a lot of times where you do things where you don't have a physician available. Um, so the communication has to be clear and succinct, and sometimes you have nurses that that do not sound the alarm when they need to um, because there's a certain level of intimidation um, that might be going on or some kind of hierarchical silo. So, you know, one of the things that we're doing to try to combat that because we, I think it's in every organization, we have it in ours, um, the system as a whole has uh, gone live with team steps and we're going kind of unit to unit. They're using it in the operating rooms. Um, different critical care situations, and we're using it here in the maternity center to try to give the nurses just a little bit of extra um, knowledge, support, information, and uh, so they can can follow through with the R piece of the S bar. Okay, thanks. Um, somebody wants to know what's a dove. <laughs> <laughs> a dove. We have doves, you know, and we have eagles in, in, in nursing. We always categorize our staff by the different animals that they rep- represent. And what, what, do you know, the, what, get, do, what does that suggest? <laughs> the, the dove, the dove is, is the gentle flower. The dove ah, doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I see. Okay. Um, okay. And, and I think as care providers, I mean, we have a lot of nurses that, that that's their personality, and we kind of have to teach them how to break out of that. I get it. Okay. No, that's fair enough. Just wanted to be sure. So I think somebody didn't know if it was an acronym, uh, you know, D stands for, oh, you know, we're into acronyms today, S-B-A-R. Okay, Ensley. All right, very quickly, uh, Joe Morgan, uh, anything yeah. you want to say before we open things up for Q&A? And- closing remark because we do want to get to the discussion here. Uh, I think it's come through um, uh, a little bit here, but just really want to emphasize that nothing that we can do can ever replace critical thinking, whether it's SBAR or not, that we just can't go down and pull the data. But what I think is really interesting, too, in working with younger nurses, they might see this situation, and it's a good tool to help them put together uh, things critically, to really help them develop with their critical thinking um, skill set also. So I've seen it work kind of wonders that way, too, when someone's talking about the situation and we'll just kind of walk through it here and give me the full assessment and different things and so what would you do you know that would be your recommendation so different ways to use it but i just want to stress nothing ever replaces critical thinking no matter what you have in front of you okay thank you so much all right you're uh, welcome all right terrific uh, don't go anywhere everybody uh, we still got another 20 minutes john you want to just remind everybody i think people more or less have the chat uh, down but just a reminder uh, how to use it most effectively yeah if you want to make sure that everybody here uh, uh, in the studio and everybody looking and listening at home can see your question. Make sure that you address it to all participants in the chat field. All right. Thanks very much. Well, a lot of comments uh, in the chat, and uh, you're all kind of having a, a wonderful, robust conversation with one another. I want to continue to encourage you uh, to go ahead and just chat in your challenges, and I'm curious which things have been said today that really resonate for you. We're also, we'll uh, ask this in our survey at the end, but we are, this is maybe our first uh, return to talking about SBAR a lot. We've got a lot of stuff on IHI.org, but we haven't checked in uh, that recently until now about what everyone is doing with SBAR, and we'd love to see ways that we might be able to continue to be supportive in other types of programs and programming. So feel free to chat in what would be most helpful to you, and that will also be in the survey. So um, Janine, uh, this this one, um, of course, when we talk about SBAR, we talk a lot about nursing. 
resources, and there are reasons for that historically in terms of helping people speak up chains of command, uh, perhaps uh, communicate things when you are maybe speaking to uh, a superior uh, in your profession, etc., etc., and I'm, I, I'm sure Michael could explain that even much more, Audrey, but somebody is asking, do physicians use SBAR? And I, I think that's a fair question. Um, I don't know. Who, Audrey, you want to start with you on that one? Well, I think that uh, practices vary across the country and in different organizations, and it really depends on the, the local uh, situation. Um, certainly, we're seeing some discussion in the chat of places that, that do have their physicians using that. I do think that one of the reasons that SBAR and structured communication can be particularly helpful in healthcare is that traditionally physician communication styles and nurse communication styles have been very different, whereas physicians tend to communicate in more of a bulleted format of delivering quick snips of information, and traditionally nurses have been more narrative in their presentation. So I think that's one of the reasons that, that it's been focused a lot towards nurses is to help them uh, structure their communication in a way that's easier for the physicians to hear. Mm-hmm. But it's, that's not the only um, reason to be using it. Okay. Let's, um, I, and also several people are asking about, I think you, you, you hit a, a good nerve, I would say, in talking about the R part and the recommendation part. One person is asking, uh, are there some examples or, or do we have some models out there about how you, one can do more effective training uh, to kind of strengthen the R part of this uh, communication? Um, well, I think that, that Michael really hit on uh, this this issue of interdisciplinary sort of hands-on or, or words-on practice, that people need to be able to work things out in, in a more realistic situation. It's not enough to just be thinking about it. But um, we, I don't know, I mean, there are examples in Team Steps, certainly, about how to use SBAR. And then um, in a number of the uh, fetal monitoring courses that we've, I've been involved in over the years, we try to do sort of case examples of what an SBAR might look like for that specific case. And then also in the new um, preeclampsia toolkit that just came out from the California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative, we do have a section in there that has sort of example layouts of how you might deliver the information and what a response might look like, and if it and if it's not working, how you could come around to resolve that more clearly. Okay, very very good. I don't know yeah, what I mean, other yeah. suggestions people. Okay, great. Is that you, Michael? Go ahead. Yeah. So, so uh, Audrey is kind of dead on right here, and one of the things we found most effective, particularly in busy private practice hospitals where the docs say, "I don't have time to sit in the room and do this." As we say, you know, we'll buy you lunch, show up for 20 minutes, sit down, one nurse, one doc, take a real situation that, that didn't go so well or could have gone well or went really well, and we literally want you to write it down in an SBAR format and discuss how you would want to have that conversation. And what unfolds very quickly is this dialogue of here's what I need to hear, here's how we need to talk about it, this is the way, you know, to most effectively frame it. So, so there are lots of examples, templates, but, but it's really, you know, if you think about it, high-quality, good care is based on relationships and building relationships. And what the work we're talking about takes us away 
from this kind of transactional mode of I talk to you, you know, I get what I want, or I don't know you, etc. So, so even taking 20, 30 minutes sitting down and having those conversations uh, produces a lot of clarity about how we need to have those conversations within a specific culture to be to be effective and be respectful. Um, while I've got you, uh, Michael, not that you were going anywhere, but Neil Baker asked an interesting question in here. Uh, sort of the punchline of what he was asking uh, is, in a sense, have we put safety culture, he says, into too much of a silo? And if you think about it, uh, he says here, why not commit all communication from the start to dealing with the social agreement in any team or individual meeting? Um, so somehow a kind of deep embedding. So we've sort of got this tension between something that's migrating in many, many different ways that could possibly be diluting the punch of the situational. And uh, Neil, feel free to chat in here because in case I'm misrepresenting. But on the other hand, maybe this is a tool that if the more widely it's, it's used in every which way, it, it's just all the stronger. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Is that too existential? <laughs> no, no, that. <laughs> that that is a great insight because fundamentally high performing cultures are very clear about defining the way they talk to each other and and they define the behaviors and the mechanisms that create value within those organizations and they're very explicit about the behaviors that create unnecessary risk or actually degrade the culture and so you can very very quickly i mean neil's 100% correct if you want to really segue this into the world of organizational learning and the properties of high-performing cultures, everything we talked about have talked about here applies broadly across organizations. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Uh, keep uh, sharing your questions. Uh, anybody want to add to any thoughts at all about uh, SBAR in terms of training students? Several people have asked whether or not uh, this kind of work is finding its way into um, working with uh, nursing students, medical students. It certainly is a part of the fabric of things that are offered through the IHI Open School. Uh, but I'm curious, is anybody working uh, – with students even in their own organizations, Ansley or Jill? Uh, we're a community hospital. We do have a family practice residence here. But going back to our, uh, we have three nursing uh, programs in our community and uh, uh, internship and so on. But especially onboarding, that's really huge. And like I said, one of the key component is all about patient safety, you know, and everything that you do and obviously communication. So SBAR starts the minute with our new employees walking in the door. Uh, interesting enough, though, too, that our students, um, Nurses in the different areas, going back to intensive care, when we would have students, they also work with them on SBAR. That's just part of how they mentor the, the students, whether they're here for a summer intern or whatever. But that is, anytime we're working with students, uh, we definitely stress SBAR. Okay, very good. Ansley? Um, really, like I said before, since SBAR has really become part of our culture here, um, we have, Carolina's healthcare system has their own uh, two different nursing programs, and we also have others here in the community through the local colleges and universities. We, so we have a lot of nursing students that come in and out of our facilities, um, and, I, and I just think because it's part of the culture, it's something that they experience, participate in, they are responsible um, for it while they're here on the unit. So I think from a um, clinical experience for the nursing student, they're seeing this 
as it works in real time in real life. Um, so when they learn it in a simulated environment in the classroom, when they come here and actually see it put into play, it really is useful for their knowledge base and will not help them with the, with the recommendation part, but it definitely will allow them to kind of have some little mental notes they can make to themselves of how they've seen other nurses use it so that when they are practicing um, that little kernel, they can pull back and, and use in their own communication. All right. Very, very good. Uh, lots of folks on the chat. This is really fascinating. People are, are raring to go here uh, to apply this uh, to teaching to pharmacy students and others. Um, I'm curious about, maybe John can put back up the, the listening uh, piece of this, because uh, this was one of the, the themes, uh, the um, Audrey slide here. And um, I'm, I'm curious, I mean, this, this is a, a slide. I don't know, people are also talking about uh, teach back here, um, you know, we, you know, son of SBAR and, you know, daughter of SBAR. We can kind of create a lot of versions of this, and people have mentioned some others. I'm curious uh, amongst our guests, what do we think about uh, really an SBAR for listening that might actually kind of g- get into play? Can you imagine it in your organization, or do you think it uh, maybe just the points need to be made, but maybe we don't want to confuse things? I'm just curious. What do you think, Jill? Uh, I think it does. It goes back to, you know, active listening is huge. I guess you can do, you know, deliver the perfect SBAR, but it does go back to listening. But I think one thing that SBAR does, it makes listening easier. I don't think listening, I don't want to imply listening is ever, you know, be easy because you always have to be that active listener. But I think it really goes back to everybody on the same page, knowing that as a listener and someone's given me SBAR, I know exactly what they're telling me. They know what the situation is. Uh, you know, it's very spelled out. And the R, that's what's really important. You want me to do what? And so I think that really helps for listening to the person who is using SBAR. But this is the first time I I've seen the um, listening expert, and I do like the idea because it does also um, makes you understand listening is equally important in communication. We all know that. Okay, and uh, Ansley, what do you think? Do you th- can you imagine the, the listening oh, tool? Or absolutely, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, um, because that's the second piece of it. I mean, kind of like what Jill just said. I mean, I can be the I can be a great nurse, whether you're a nurse or a physician, and I'm giving you um, an update on the patient in this format. But if you're not actively listening, it's an invaluable conver. I mean, it's not a valuable conversation at all. So, um, absolutely, I've already I'm already getting the slide down, and <laughs> we're going to kind of incorporate that into our team steps that we teach um, mm-hmm. because it's the listening part. It has to be there. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Well, a uh, quick comment here from John, and then uh, we'll we'll take a few more questions. Go ahead, John. Yeah. Thanks, Madge. Uh, embracing SBAR is a great way to improve awareness and patient safety in your hospital. Um, and another is IHI's Global Trigger Tool, the best tool to date for identifying and measuring harm with a sampling approach. To help you learn more about how to use the Global Trigger Tool successfully in your organization, a web-based training session using the IHI Global Trigger Tool for measuring adverse events is being offered by IHI starting February 18th. So if you'd like more information, visit IHI.org slash Global Trigger Tool or shoot us an email at info at IHI.org. Okay, thanks. So in our remaining minutes here, first of all, and it may just be my screen, I'm going to ask, uh, I probably did something screwy here, but I'm going to ask John to put the uh, poll results up here. We'll also put them in the slides so that uh, we'll put them up on the resource uh, page as well so people can have that. Um, whoops, I'm going to come down here. Uh, all right. 
right. I want to know, um, I'm curious if you feel like it, chat in kind of what you're going to do with some of the information you heard today. Okay, here comes the polls. So we um, we asked you with the first question, um, kind of some of the most significant communication challenges, and it looks like, uh, I don't know, it's fairly even. even. Um, I can't see the full copy here, so I'm, I'm a little bit all thumbs here, but uh, we'll put these in the slides. Um, and I want to uh, encourage everyone to kind of keep letting us know how we can be helpful. And I guess what I'll do is I'm going to start with uh, Audrey. Why don't we go around the horn and sort of some final thoughts uh, from you and each of you and kind of what kinds of things you might be working on next in this space. Thanks, Audrey. Well, so uh, I think one of the most exciting things about this webinar is is seeing how much activity is going on across the country and it looks like the world uh, regarding these really important issues. Um, one of the questions that came up in the chat, which I think is indeed a really, really difficult problem that we need to keep working on and learning about, is this question of um, how do you set aside assumptions and having conversations with people. Mm -hmm. And this all, I think, ties back into the issue of psychological safety, that we have to set a tone in organizations that we're all here for to provide the best patient care. And we have to do a much better job of learning how to step back from our uh, personal issues and and our perhaps previous history of maybe not the best relationships with each other and do the right thing for patients every time. But we need a lot of organizational support, practice, and training in order to do that. All right. Thank you very much. Jill, thoughts from you? Yeah. Oh, agree totally with Audrey. And I would have to say, though, too, I just don't think you can have SBAR without and going back to what we talked about, just that culture of safety or where you feel safe and secure. We also work on different things, you know, with the crucial conversation, speak up respectfully. But I just quickly want to mention, too, some of the things we're working on now. And I've seen uh, some of the comments in chat. Um, we've been working on this so well within the department, but it really goes back to that after-visit summary. When the patient's discharged, how we communicate to, uh, obviously, I just transitioned to the post-acute world and uh, realized, wow, when that patient leaves the hospital, how we're communicating with our scale facilities, home health, and hospice, et cetera. Okay. Thank you very much. Ansley. Yes. Oh, final thoughts. Anything you uh, – what, 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 I know you're going to work on that listening uh, part of this. Uh, what, what else uh, – if we, if we check back with you in, in six months, what would we find out? <laughs> well, hopefully we'll be um, – all computerized because I think that it is in it with the workload being so heavy on nursing right now I think when you've got a lot of different places you've got to go to find the information that you need um, it's kind of slowing us down so hopefully we'll be all online um, with a standardized tool that we can use that's more specific to our patient population um, and you know I can't say enough about team steps and really um, kind of this goes hand in hand with our SBAR um, and really teaching people to communicate effectively with uh, with others in the healthcare setting, and you know, being able to to get the response that they're looking for. Um, so it's all team. Everybody has to everybody has to take part. Everybody has to do their part in order to report and to listen. Really fantastic, Michael. I'm going to just as a kind of a tee up for your final comment. Somebody has asked, "How do you measure compliance with SBAR?" 
Should we be? Is is that is that necessary? <laughs> well, you, it's a great question. There's a number of ways you can actually measure this. You can do it through direct observation, which is actually kind of labor-intensive. But in fact, we've done that work in procedural uh, areas. Um, if you look at John Whittington's work some years ago at um, you know, in in uh, Illinois. I mean, what John and and his colleagues did is they actually um, had people that were secret shoppers. So they had physicians uh, who would call to see if they got S bars. They had physicians requesting S bars, etc. So, so, so if you think about a high performing culture of mutual accountability, it's you know you define explicit behaviors, and then the question is. Um, do I see it? Are we doing it? How are we doing it well? And and so there are ways, actually, uh, to measure. And so you can sample, you can have secret shoppers, et cetera. And I, anybody who's interested in that, I'm happy to have a, an offline, longer conversation. Um, so so we, we've kind of talked broadly about kind of framing how to systematically think about improving care. We've had a lot of comments around the teamwork piece, team steps, et cetera, valuable work. And then we focused on kind of how cultures engage around, shall we say, devices or tools like SBAR. And, and the thing that kind of strikes me, which I think is actually a valuable learning, certainly has been for me, is you know, we're using something like SBAR, these tools, in profound social communications. And and one of the books that I found actually most instructive was Edgar Schein's book, Helping. It's about 100 pages. And there's really two pieces that come out of it, which is in order for somebody to be receptive or be willing to change their behavior, two conditions need to be met. One is it's respectful, right? I'm not going to lose face. I'm not going to look stupid. And and in fact, you can think about examples in your own life where you wanted to help somebody across the street or they wanted to help you, and in about two seconds, your brain said, either I'd like this or I don't. So, so that dynamic happens very quickly. The second point is if you want somebody to do something differently, you have to be explicit about the behaviors. So, so in fact, we can talk to people about better teamwork, about being better communicators, about being better leaders. And, and they kind of don't know what to do. But what you can do is to say every time you walk in the room, set a positive, active tone, think out loud to share the plan, invite everybody into the conversation so you're approachable. Right? And, and so those are things that are very discreet, they're observable, they're actionable, and, and you can relentlessly drive simple behaviors, and that really is the hallmark of safe care and high-performing cultures. Very interesting, and you left us all with an interesting book to follow up. Somebody just uh, uh, corrected my spelling. The book is called Helping by Edgar, E-D-G-A-R, and the last name is spelled S-C-H-E-I-N. And thank you, Tammy Rich, for writing that in there in the chat. A reminder, you can download the chat, download all the slides, and please uh, fill out the survey. Uh, We're so thrilled of your interest in today's show and your time with us and our guests on this topic. The results of the poll will also be in the stuff that we put up on the resource page tomorrow. Michael Leonard, I want to thank you. Michael and I, and to some extent, 
understand also Audrey Linden here. They uh, uh, gave me time and started talking to me months and months ago and put up with all my emails and messages uh, just to sort of help me uh, kind of frame something that I knew could be a very interesting program, and you really proved that today. So thank you, Michael Leonard. Thank you, Audrey Linden. Big uh, thrill to meet and get to know Jill Morgan and Ansley Stone, and a big thanks to Sue Gullo and the perinatal community, uh, which is hard at work uh, in this space in labor and delivery and using SBAR and kind of almost a, a, a laboratory of, of what we can all learn. And a big shout-out to all of you. Boy, what a conversation has been unfolding uh, on this chat. It's gold for us here, and we hope it's very helpful to you, too. And I promise we will come back to this topic. Next up on WIHI on February 13th, we're going to be talking about equity and health disparities. Uh, there's information about that now live on IHI.org. That reminder, again, you can download everything you saw today, the chat, the slides, uh, any questions whatsoever. If you can't find anything, you can email info at IHI.org and look for this archived page tomorrow morning. The people who help make WIHI possible, what a crew here. Mike Sweeney, Jameson Case, Jesse McCall, Alan Olison, Vicki Minden, John Gothier, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, and Matt Morse, and our Northeastern co-op Tala Al-Gussain, who's put up with a lot of my emails as well. And it's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. Thanks to our guests today. Thank you all for your time. For the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day. Thank you.